Welcome, campers. Settle in tight, for tonight you're in for a fright. Welcome, campers, to Friday Night Fright. We are your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, let's get spooky. I'm pumped. Spooky. Yeah, spooky. Obviously, we haven't done a Friday Night Fright in a month, so I look forward to yeah. these. Me too. They're fun. It's, yeah. I like it because it's more of like a sort of casual hang. Right. And also kind of a change of pace from our normal subject matter. So Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Kind of gets us outside the box. Agreed. Yeah. Maybe inside the box. Maybe. Maybe we're usually outside of it, and this is a dive in there. Exactly. It depends on how you look at it. Is the glass half full or half empty? Right. In or out of the box? The eternal question. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) It's an age-old question. I love things that are (laughs) age-old. Do you? (laughs) I like, you know, a nice, good-aged bourbon. Do you? I really do. Yeah. Speaking of that, you got a smoker for Christmas. You're I did. getting super fancy yeah, with your yeah. bourbons. So now I can do my smoked cocktails and, and stuff, which is awesome. Have you tried it out yet? I did. I did one pour, which was nice. How was it? It was good. If you if you ever had a, a smoked cocktail or anything, it's I mean it's just a nice smoky drink. Yeah? Yeah. What kind of wood did you use? Um applewood. Nice. Yeah, so it turned out uh, turned out pretty good. Right on. Excellent. You want to hear some stories? I mean, well, I've, I would like to hear some stories, actually. <laughs> I have one for you. Just one? Yeah, just one story. All right, okay, okay. I, too, have one. Excellent. <laughs> well, let's, uh, yeah, let's, let's get down to it, then. Yeah, mine is called Paper Cut. Sweet. Cue that spooky music. When I wake up, the doctor gives me the facts. She delivers them to me gently, her voice like a warm cup of water you could steep a bag of tea in. Somehow, she made a car accident sound like a paper cut, and so I decide that that's what I'd like to call it from now on, a paper cut. Can you feel your toes, she asks. I think so, it's hard to tell. Hmm, can you tell me your name? John. Can you see anything, John? No, is that normal? Typically. She excuses herself to check on another patient, and I anxiously wait for her to come back. I try tapping my fingers against a hard hospital surface to ease my discomfort, but then realize I can't feel my hands. Are you back yet? Yes, I'm here. What happened to my hands? You've lost them, but that's okay. At least you're still here, right? I agree, hesitantly. 
Your mother is dying to speak to you, you know. She loves you very much. I'd like to speak to her, too. The doctor becomes occupied with something in the distance, and I hear her fiddle with an object in the room, maybe a plastic tube or a needle she's flicking. When can I go home? I ask. I imagine myself twisting open the doorknob of my front door with no hands. She sighs sympathetically. You're in no shape to go home. I begin to feel queasy, only I can't make myself throw up. I remind myself that it's just a paper cut, a tiny little paper cut, only I do not have fingers to slice anymore. The last time I got a paper cut, I mean a real one, I took the experience for granted. I had been flipping through the picture of Dorian Gray when it happened and never stopped to appreciate the paper-thin sting of good literature slicing me open. Now a handless horseman, I will never feel that sensation again. The thought fills me with regret, and makes me wish I were at home right now, reading the picture of Dorian Gray, with a warm cup of tea brewed with the doctor's voice. The doctor must sense my anxiety because in a sympathetic attempt to distract me, she asks, Do you do anything for fun? I write. Oh, she pauses. That's a bummer. Yeah. Definitely. That large paper cut's not going to do him any good. No, definitely not going to be helpful. (laughs) Poor guy. I've met people with no hands who write. Many, actually. They write very well. That's good to hear. Yes. We fall into another momentary pause. And though I can't feel my toes or any other part of my body, I feel the same social discomfort I felt before the paper cut. How long have you been a doctor? I ask awkwardly. She scoffs. I never said I was a doctor. I have this issue where I say I'm going to do something and then never do it. My biggest fear. I'm going to blink my 35-year-old eyes one day and then wake up in the last hours of my life with my unwritten novel lingering somewhere above my rotting liver-spotted head. I'm sorry, I tell the woman finally. I didn't mean to assume. That's okay, she says because you simply can't be angry with a man who's just lost his hands and vision. Are you a nurse? I ask. A medium. Does that mean you talk to the dead? Yes, I'm talking to you, aren't I? I try sitting up in my bed, only I cannot. I don't feel any starchy hospital sheets underneath me now that I think of it. But that can't be, I say. What about the other patient you checked on? You're not the only deceased soul who communicates with me. Right now I'm speaking to a man who fell off a ladder, and a beloved wife who died from bad eating habits in, I want to say, 1997. And those are only two of many. But my mother, you said she wants to speak to me. She does. Then please, I'd like to speak just a moment. Another soul is trying to communicate with me. She excuses herself again, then cuts out before I can speak. I begin to worry she's hung up on me forever, like an angry ex-girlfriend I'm still in love with. And yet, there's no hold music, or staticky jazz, or yacht rock to keep me occupied during my wait. No cheerful, artificial voice either, to assure me that my call is important, and that someone will be here to take me out of my misery very shortly. I try tapping my fingers again against a hard surface, but then I remember. I have no hands, or for that matter, fingers. And when you're dead, the only hard surface is the overpriced glossy coffin closing in on you. 
Hello, she says finally, and my body, my soul, relaxes. Please don't leave me again. You do realize you're not the only deceased person with needs, right? But I'm afraid, I say. I have no hands, and I only see darkness. Some have no kneecaps, either. In fact, none of you have kneecaps, or veins, or capillaries, or those weird little flesh pads that hold your bones together. So? You're dead. I panic. But don't worry, you're still here, right? And plus, you have me. Then can you deliver a message to my mother for me, please? Oh, she'd absolutely love that. But I'd rather not. That's not what I do. What a bitch. <laughs> a very rude medium. She's like toying with him this whole time. And I was gonna say, like, at first, I was gonna say, man, he's taking this being dead thing pretty, pretty well. Yeah. He's like getting introspective immediately instead of panicking. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> what do you mean? That's exactly what mediums do. Maybe the ones on TLC, but that's not how I use my gift. I get no joy out of stopping strangers in the produce section to tell them that their dead Uncle Jerry is A-OK, playing California Dreamin' on his guitar up in heaven or whatever. <laughs> Listen to me, John. Your liver is sitting in an ice chest right now. Every usable organ in your body has been harvested, except one. The story that lives inside you. A story is not an organ, I argue. It depends on how you look at it. Sure, it doesn't pump blood through your body or filter toxins. And most transplant surgeons who knew better than to become writers themselves would also argue that it's utterly useless. I'm sure everyone made you believe that too, John. When you were alive. A little boy, even. That writers and the stories that live inside them are as useless as baby shoes, car alarms, and diet water. But you know what, John? I disagree with those people. They don't understand you like I do. That's why I want to help you. By harvesting the story that lives inside you. It's still viable enough to be transplanted into a book, you know. It's not too late for you. She goes on to explain that she communicates only with dead writers. She tried dead budget analysts and even dead district security technicians, but she fell asleep five times into the seance and has since cut them out completely. How do you know which of us are writers? Usually it's the organ donors, like you. Because aren't all organ donors empathetic people and all empathetic people writers? It's basically deductive, or is it inductive reasoning? I think this is a flawed theory. I know lots of empathetic people who can't write for shit. Well, yeah, obviously. And just to, I mean, I, I just to assume, some someone that's empathetic is born to be a writer. What yeah. is, what is that like? What does that say about that person? Right. The, or that she even thinks experiencing empathy is something that special. Like that's something right. most people have. I feel like this lady's just out to out to like make a quick buck off of this dead dude story. You think so? I think so. Could be. Could be. I don't know, and say nothing. The point is, she continues, I'm here to transcribe your novel for you. That's very kind of you, but I'd like to say something to my mother first. Maybe you can say it in the dedication page. <laughs> no. Let me speak to her now, please. It will only take a second. She laughs at me, calm yet angry like the ocean that can either heal or drown you depending on its mood. You can't tell me how to use my gift, John. How would you feel if I told you how to use your writing gift? I think about this for a moment. 
If you upset me again, she says in her calm, angry way, I'll cut our line forever. It's very easy to do. And then who will you have to talk to? Jesus. Who's going to give her a book at that point? Right? It's a very strange feeling to feel panic without a nervous system. There are some times where the woman sounds like a sleepy 911 dispatcher, and others when she sounds like an unenthusiastic phone sex operator. I don't know anything about her other than that she has a husband to whom she's happily married. It's a fact, she says, she's made sure to disclose ever since a dead man inquired about her underwear color two years ago. Touché. For the most part, it's very easy to write when you're dead. There's nothing else to do when you're dead except be dead, and nothing can distract you. You can't eat cake or fall in love or impregnate anyone with a child who will serve as yet another convenient excuse to put off your novel for another 18 years. All you can do is write about it. Could you please write the dedication page you promised? I asked the woman. Let's get back to your story first. You're nearly toward the resolution. But can you just write something short? It won't take long. I already have the words ready for you. I've been working very hard on them while you were communicating with the others. She becomes quiet for a moment, but this time, I don't feel awkward. What is it, I ask, afraid now. Is my mother okay? If it isn't any trouble, I'd just like to dedicate my story to her, so that she knows I'm okay, that I'm not entirely useless after all. I, I'm sorry, John. I'll write anything you'd like in the dedication page. I'm good on my word, but I can't guarantee your mother will read it. Why not? Is she okay? Yes, she's okay. It's just that every book I transcribe I publish under my name. It's a sort of tax for the dead who no longer have pockets to pay me. Anything you write to your mother will be read by my mother instead. For a long time, we say nothing. Then without warning, she hangs up. I'm alone for what feels like months, maybe years, but I have no conception of time to actually say. I know you're probably upset, John, she says suddenly one day. Everyone is. I used to disclose that information from the beginning of the seance, but then the spirits would get so boo-hoo about it that their stories would just die right along with them. Plus, whether you'd like to admit it or not, everyone has an ego, even the dead. They want people to say nice things about them at their funeral, to throw pretty flowers on their headstones. They want people to read their stories, to see their pensive, little-about-the-author headshots on the little book flap at the end. That's why I've found there's nothing more effective than giving them that false prospect of recognition to get the stories out of them. The very thought of it alone almost makes me come back to life. You're terrible. Do I need to cut your line, John? I could easily have one of my other souls tie up your loose plot threads for you. I'll leave you alone in your lifeless solitude forever. Don't writers love solitude? No, please don't go. I'm very sorry. Good. But may I please ask why? Why? Isn't it obvious? Unlike you, I'm still living, and living people need money. To eat, to get haircuts, to buy lip balm, to coat their still warm lips with. Your dead lips are cold, John. Cold and blue, like like you've just eaten a snow cone. She just like th- <laughs> She's like throwing the fact that she's still alive just in his face. Yeah. Super That's rude. That's terrible. Right? 
Don't you remember what it's like to be alive? Everyone wants your money. The water company, AT&T, the Church of Latter-day Saints. I need the money more than you. I really thought you were a doctor, here to help me. She laughs. I mean, what's the difference between a medium and a doctor, really? We're kind of like doctors in that we bridge the gap between life and death. Only we're better than doctors, because we're the ones who bridge the gap between life and death when the doctor fails to do it themselves. I am floating in my dark consciousness, like a fetus in amniotic fluid who will never come out. When I hear the woman's voice cut through, without conception of time, I don't know how long it's been since we last communicated. Hi, John, she says. Where have you been? Your book is very popular. Don't you mean your book? I swear, I'll cut you out forever. (laughs) I just wanted to let you know that the book is very successful. Your mom is one of my fans. You have quite a talent. I bite my non-existent tongue. Thank you. My husband is actually taking me to a book signing right now. We're almost to L.A., so I'll have to go soon. Wait, please, what does it feel like? What does what feel like? Being published. Can you describe it to me so I can vicariously live live what you're living? I'm not a writer, John. You know I don't know how to describe stuff, Well, Well, try. You've described things poetically before. Those were inspired by excerpts from my other books, from the other spirits. You have a copy of my book with you? Yes. How does the book feel? Smell? Can you describe the texture of the cover between your hands? She flips through the pages in that calm, angry way again. It feels like paper. I don't know. This is stupid. I have to go. Our exit's coming up. Just try, please. Okay. Annoyed, she flips through the pages again and takes in the paper page aroma when out of nowhere I hear a familiarly deafening sound. It's like two strangers violently clinking wine glasses on the I-5 freeway in an unplanned toast to their last moments on Earth. Then, just like that, their cups shatter in a spray of red wine and broken glass, taking me to a place I know I've been before. Are you okay? I ask. She makes a strange noise, no longer flipping through the pages. And then, in what turns out to be the last time I ever hear from the woman, she says to me, Don't worry, John. It's just a paper cut. Nice. So are they in an accident, I'm assuming? I think so, yeah. Okay. That's pretty cool. It almost, I don't know, it it almost like feels like it puts the feeling of death or being in that kind of limbo state puts it to word and explains like you could almost feel it right yeah yep. which is really weird it's also you know the subject of automatic writing is huge right like there's there are a ton of mediums who claim to have this ability that like write books that are passed on to them from spirits right right and they're like not even aware of what they're writing while they're writing it that's so weird yeah such a strange concept and this like i really did not like this lady yeah she was awful yeah and it like i like the i like that it tells the story from the side of the spirit being 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, because maybe they're they don't appreciate it. Maybe they're being like blackmailed for their fucking story. You know, there's no way for us to know what's going yeah. on in the medium's mind, right? Right. Which, yeah, it's just still, regardless, it just you. I mean, obviously, you feel bad for you know for the person you know with the paper cut. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like it's nice to have that almost connection with the real world. Yeah. But like you got this bitch out here just like acting like it's nothing. Yeah. You know, throwing like mortality, I guess, in the face of someone that you know ceases to experience it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just awful. It's pretty damn rude. It really is. Like <laughs> I found myself just kind of rolling my eyes or just laughing at some of the shit that she was saying. Yeah. It's like how could you say that to someone? Yeah, she's mean. But I mean, it it also makes me wonder like how many people that claim to be mediums or whatever else or that can contact the dead or, you know, like have casual assholes. conversations. Right. Or actually like <laughs> shitty to them. Yeah. That's a good question, right? Yeah. It's really weird. Because like what if you what if you're, you know, a a ghost, a spirit, then you reach out to you know, you like feel the presence of someone who you can communicate with and so you reach out to them and then you like catch them in the worst mood ever right and they're just like fuck off leave me alone what do you want right you're dead i don't have time for you right i mean it has to happen sometimes right i'm sure yeah you have somebody that just has a bad day and you you have these people that are just trying to reach out just for anyone you know any any person that can hear them or whatever else and they finally yeah. reach that person <laughs> then they don't get quite the you know, reaction that they would expect yeah that would suck yeah I'm, I'm sure that that happens more times than not it reminds me of the the theory that like um poltergeist activity is just like completely misinterpreted by people who experience it that like it's just so hard for the spirit to get their energy to the place where they can move things that it kind yeah. of comes out violent, you know? Yeah. I, uh, there's this show called ghosts. Uh, it was, it was a UK show and they've recently done a U.S. version. I haven't watched all the UK version, but, uh, the U S one is, is really funny. And there's one, there's one of the ghosts that he can like, he has to focus really, really well. And he can, actually touch things yeah and like it's there's it's really funny because in one of the episodes they end up getting um one of the people in the house is like her ipad or phone or something and like it takes him forever but he finally he's able to send a text message but it takes everything in him and it takes literally forever to like harness the energy or like to focus enough to develop the energy to be able to actually like touch these things so that Honestly, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. So imagine going through all that shit, and then you come up against an an asshole who just doesn't have time for you. Right, exactly. Yeah, that would be a a full bummer. Yeah, I mean, if it were me, I would then change my, my attitude, and I would harness everything I could to just really make that person's life hell afterwards. 
I would instantly go to work tying their shoelaces together. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, it's it's such a, I don't know. It's a, it's actually a really cool story. Like I said, I really like the way it's sold and it kind of puts you in that mindset. Makes you kind of feel, you know, obviously you feel for the person, but, uh, I think, uh, the girl got, I don't want to say she got what she deserved because that sounds bad. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it was karma. There was a bit of justice in the end. Yeah, right? yeah. It was like yeah. karma, or yeah, it was you know justice. Yeah. There we go. That works. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, tis but a scratch. Yeah, just a flesh wound. Thank you. I think it's. I think it's nice to to see these things that we talk about a lot from like new perspectives, right. To think about like a haunting from the ghost perspective. Right. You never, you never like, you you never think of it that way. Yeah. Or nobody ever talks of it like that, you know? Right. Cause it's always, you know, the human beings experience with the phenomenon. Yeah. It's not, you know, cause it's almost, I mean, it is technically impossible for us to know what it, what it is like from the perspective of the phenomenon itself yeah of course so yeah it's it's fun to theorize and think about what could be going on on the other side right i fully agree it's uh it it's just a nice change of pace it's kind of refreshing yeah and now obviously you know i'm gonna think twice if i if i'm ever contacted you know at least try and be as as nice as i can be (laughs) yeah be nice right Shit. exactly would you please leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> every now that's and then. also not nice <laughs> so every now and again uh old old gem uh my my <laughs> household friend uh yeah uh like i'll like i'll go to like sit down i'll hear a sound and be like jim i told you you're not allowed to come out right now uh, if you're gonna do it gem. like at least you know like kind of stay away a little bit you know <laughs> just be, you know yeah not like not like a that weird you know i don't want to turn around like i turn a corner and he's standing right there no i don't want yeah. that i want it to be subtle sure you know what yeah it, be it, nice about exactly. it exactly ease in yeah so every yeah. now and again i'll like pat the seat next to me like have a seat you know nice let's watch some tv that's polite yeah i like that. I, I, yeah, I try to. Like I said, I yeah. yeah. I'm obviously we're. I feel like we're guests in this house, yeah. you know, at this point. But yeah, you know what you need to do is you need to hang up like a wind chime in a place where there's no draft from from the doors or from any yeah. vents or anything, like somewhere where it's not going to get triggered from environmental stuff. And just like you know, whenever you want to say hi, give a little tinkle on the. On the yeah, fucking. I mean, I feel like it happens enough by the random like Google start to play music or play like we'll start talking and stuff. Like the other night when you and I are sitting here, you're yes. uh, which we never even talked about on that episode. So no, I we feel didn't like, talk about it on the episode. I posted about it. Today did you? Okay, on, I haven't yeah. seen it yet, but yeah. I feel like we need to at least mention this because it was very. Yeah, let's talk about it. Unless like you're you're messing with me and you know it's just haha funny fun fun but it was really weird so uh just to kind of kind of explain what happened we're sitting here before we're about to record an episode 
And about black eyed kids. About black eyed kids, yeah. And we're just literally talking, and all of a sudden I just hear his Alexa speaker next to him just start talking. So I just like wait. And then he reads what it says and sends me a literally a, a picture. Took a picture of the of the display. Yeah. So it says What's the best place in the house to hide from ghosts? The living room. <laughs> Which is obviously supposed to be a, a funny joke. Right, but exactly, but it was so weird. Also, like, it was it was during a moment of relative silence. Yeah. When it came up. Like I it wasn't we weren't saying I wasn't saying anything that may have like accidentally triggered it. Cause sometimes, you know, you say a word that's you in hindsight you're like oh that it probably hurt right. his name yeah of course right? but it wasn't like it was pretty fucking quiet like i wasn't i was listening to you talk in my headphones right and i like i stopped because i heard that actually the like that talking and i mean yeah. you know every now and again like i think you have like a what like a, an alarm or something that goes off yeah random whatever time uh yeah. so like i'm used to that i'm used to that happening but yeah, that was really, really strange. Yeah, it just it just it ran set me down. on edge. Yeah, especially when you're about to talk about black eyed kids for right, two hours. Exactly, like, dude. That night too, I had just the strangest dreams. Like oh, normally, I gotta hear this. so normally, like I don't ever, you know, I I don't like dream about the stuff we talk about. Like you know, it's it's I I dream about stuff that happens. I mean my ghost friend and stuff like that. Like, you know, pretty normal things. And a lot of like what we talk about doesn't really influence what I dream about. But that night, like I just had the strangest things. Like it what didn't have anything to do with black eyed kids, but just, you know, I've kind of forgotten most of it, but like, yeah, it was just really weird. And I remember the next morning being like, huh, that's never happened before. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was a unique dreaming experience. That and just the fact that like I felt like it was because of what oh, we were okay. talking about, you know? Yeah, or at least influenced by it. Yeah, you need to start writing your dreams down. I know. Yeah, I mean, I I used to keep a journal of like my dreams and stuff. Like I I have a bunch of notes in my phone about random dreams that I've woken up and been like, wow, that was weird. <laughs> and then I'll write down like every bit that I remember. And there's been like yeah. a couple times where I've like I've had a dream and I'm like, man, that is a fantastic premise for a story or like a movie yeah. or something. Like I, that's how yeah. I felt that that day. I was like, wow, that that would be a pretty intense like intense story. Should have wrote it down. But uh I should have missed opportunity, man. Damn it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You want to get to yeah, your story? Yeah, let's let's shift gears. We'll shift gears and uh we'll go over uh something a little a little bit different here. So uh cool. let's see. Tonight's story is called Lucid. Are you ready for it? I'm so ready. All right, here it is. Lucid. It stems back to my childhood. I used to have a terrible fear of the dark and never wanted to go to sleep. From there, I developed insomnia. With time, the fear disappeared, but the insomnia stayed. Became a problem, without a solution up until my early teens. That's when I was introduced to lucid dreaming. So this is weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I didn't even think about uh, what we were actually getting into and just happened. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. All right. My older sister was obsessed with it. She also claimed to be able to dream share, which meant that at night, her and her best friend could fall asleep in their own beds in their own rooms, separate themselves from their bodies, and meet up in a completely open dream space where creativity was endless. I always thought that they were full of it, but the lucid dreaming part fascinated me, so I started teaching myself how to do it. The problem was, it rests on the ability to have consistent sleep hygiene and stable REM, neither of which I had. Since my sleep patterns were chaotic, I would lay in bed for hours with my eyes closed, focused on my breathing. I'd visualize myself sitting up in bed, then standing, then sliding on pants and a hoodie, walking to the door, exiting into the hall. I focused on every detail, recreating my room and hallway, then the staircase down, then the first floor, then the entire house. Soon I started adding in my family, peppering them through our home. Small interactions with mom and dad and my sister Gemma were sprinkled throughout. Then I realized I wasn't visualizing anymore. I was finally asleep, and I was lucid dreaming. While under, I started going outside my house, adding more details around me in the world. My friends and neighbors were built into it. The world expanded, growing on its own and creating separate systems of events. I had interactions with people I'd created and people who I'd never seen. Full conversations about the weather and sports and life. I filled their words in at first, but they took on lives of their own, fueled by my projections and manifestations of their own individual consciousness. Then something strange happened. I started to see the people from my dreams, the ones I hadn't created or seen before, out in the real world when I was awake. They were real people with real lives, and they acted the same as they did in my dream world. I was having similar conversations with the same people in both real life and in my dreams. Dude, this is what terrifies me. Yeah? About lucid dreaming. That, like, where you stop being able to tell the difference between your dream life and your waking life. Oh, dude, that'd be terrifying. Yeah, and dangerous. Absolutely. And I mean, like, yeah, yeah, it's, I, I feel like it would get to a point though, where it would be hard to differentiate the two, right? Yeah. I mean, especially if you're, if you get to the point where you're convinced you're creating, you're creating things in your dreams that are yet to come in your actual life. Right. Like, then is it like two tracks playing one just behind the other? Or is it two completely different Are experiences? Are they completely... Right, right, exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's... Yeah, I, I understand. I mean, it, it, would be, it would be tough for sure. And also really yeah. scary not knowing which one... I, which one is real. And, <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, people often speculate, like, is your dream life just as valid as your 
real life, right? Yeah. Like, are, is your consciousness going somewhere that, that actually exists? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's the, dreaming is such a fascinating. I was going to say just subject. the idea of dreaming is uh, there's, there's so much to it and yeah. it can be portrayed in so many different ways. And like, yeah, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, people, I think it, I think it's one of those things that people don't pay attention to because if you pay too much attention to it, you're like, you're probably not going to go to work. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. It's just ruined your whole life. Yeah, of course. But like literally people, it's just totally normal for people to, for their body to shut off for eight hours a night and their consciousness goes somewhere. Like that's the thing. Like that's, that's what I would, I want to know. But I mean, I think that's something we will never, I, I don't, I don't think any type of technology or anything could ever get us to a point where we will ever know for sure yeah i don't think it's a technology thing i think uh, like the closest you're going to get to finding answers is going to be through like spiritual practice right exactly through yep. like yeah that's that's as close as you're ever going to get to finding finding a reason agreed behind it um yeah I, i'm enjoying this a lot awesome and i i commiserate with the main character because i think the reason my dream life is so shitty is because my sleep is so sporadic and awful right <laughs> like i sleep like two hours then i'm up for an hour and then i sleep an hour and then i'm up for two hours and yeah no constantly. i i understand that as i get older it's like i sleep less and less but my body feels like it needs more and more sleep yep yeah it's just a never-ending battle yeah that's what i was just posting the other day like if you're in your 30s and you can make it through a whole movie without falling asleep we're not made of the same stuff like i can't I can't sit down for a half an hour without falling asleep. Right. No, I, I like, feel that. Because I never have enough. I feel like I never have enough sleep. Yep. But yet I can't sleep an entire night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then I get a chance to sleep eight hours and I'm up in three. I understand, man. Yep. I definitely do. I would love to like reach out to someone who's like really into the like lucid dreaming and mm-hmm. um dream journaling and stuff and see if there's like steps i could take to to get into it i mean i think the first step to it is going to be just every time you wake up regulating sleep yeah that's that's a that's one of the major ones but every time you wake up and you remember any parts of your dreams like jotting them down and then that'll like eventually i think you'll train yourself to start remembering more and more and then like you know because i i I currently have the ability to be able to control my dreams for the most part i know when i'm dreaming yeah and and it's like those like things where like people talk in their sleep like i know if i ever talk in my sleep i'm like why am i doing this i know i'm i'm dreaming i'm just gonna go for it and then i wake up and like man i should have done that (laughs) yeah (laughs) because you know that it's happening like you're very conscious and aware of it so it's such a weird concept i know like the folks over at like liminal earth they do a lot of stuff with dreaming and like dream journaling and they do like group like lucid dreaming meetups and stuff where that would be awesome yeah they like they give like a prompt basically to their followers to like you know go go to sleep tonight with this intention Mm -hmm. and then like report in with your experience and which that is would super be, fucking cool. Yeah, that would be really cool actually. 
Yeah. So I thought about reaching out to like Bex or or any of those people that are that are in the liminal earth group and like seeing seeing if they wouldn't mind like giving me some pointers. Yeah. But, that'd be cool. Cuz I would love to like, you know, get into that. Oh, same. Same. It's, a, it's something I always wanted to do. It's just Yeah. Yeah, I think there's just so much focus and everything to it like that I don't I don't think yeah. I could do at this point. It's like a regimented thing. Right, exactly. I think. Yeah. I and you know lucid dreaming was was you and I one of our first introductions to just weirdness in general, yeah. right? From mm-hmm. like when my uncle was super we, into lucid we dreaming. We were like 11 or 12, I think, when yeah. he like first was talking uh talking and suggesting us keeping journals of our dreams and stuff like that being able to like control them and and stuff like that yeah Yeah. i remember setting up i think it was in the loft and what was it the the garage at uh, one of your old houses yeah and he was just kind of explaining the whole thing to us and i was just like oh that's so cool right (laughs) yeah it kind of hooked me right like for sure yeah and that was i i got into it a little bit and i i always felt like i got really close yeah. to to like legitimate lucid dreaming i would always like i could like feel it at like right out of reach yeah but i could I feel never that, quite for get sure. there yeah well okay i think you uh, go on yeah I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think we should probably continue on sorry i have a lot to say about dreaming no i I'm, yeah for sure for sure the words spoken weren't exactly the same sometimes the content veered off But whoever I would be speaking to would mirror whatever my projection of their dream self was to varying degrees. The first few times it happened, I dismissed it as a coincidence. Then, as an extraordinary coincidence. I didn't want to admit that I was losing control of the lucidity of my dreams. The oddities continued. I saw a car accident in one of the dreams. I hadn't created it, it just happened. My sister was killed in the crash. It was horrible and felt all too real. I woke up and cried and begged for her to never ride in a car again. A week later, my cousin was in a car accident that killed the driver. One week, I had a dream about my mom going blind. Two weeks later, doctors found cancer in my grandmother's lungs. Another week, I had a dream about our cat dying. A few days passed and our neighbor's dog died. And it kept happening like that. I couldn't tell if I was causing these warped events or simply witnessing them early as they rippled outwards in chaotic ways. Because they weren't the same, I couldn't predict who or where they would happen next. I'd only have a vague direction, a hazy hint. The line between my conscious and subconscious was blurring. I made the decision to stop lucid dreaming. I decided to go in one last time and create as much joy and love as possible. To project all the good I hoped to see in the world, finally coming to fruition. But when the dream started and I sat up in bed, I felt a strange tingling across my body. An electrical frequency needled against my skin like static shock blanket. All my hair stood up on the ends of ice-cold goosebumps. 
I felt the frequency humming in the air around me. I called out to my mom and dad, but no one answered. I left my room and walked downstairs. I could see outside the street through the front windows. My family was on our lawn, looking up in uncertainty and fear at the sky. Mom was clutching dad. Gemma looked terrified. I went outside to join them and saw all the neighbors were out front of their homes looking up as well. I rushed up to my mom but she didn't see me. Neither did my dad or Gemma. I tried to grab my mom's arms but I had no hands or arms. I looked down and realized I didn't even have a body. I was just an entity. A transparent spirit floating through the dream world. I tried to wake myself up, but I was stuck there. And the scariest thing was, I wasn't even sure I was dreaming anymore. Despite the obvious bizarreness, I'd lost the ability to differentiate. Everything felt real. I'd never fully lost control of a dream before, but in this one, I was a witness strapped into the front row like Alex Delarge. I followed my family's gaze up into the sky. What looked like an upside-down volcanic eruption with electrical charges sparking through the thickening smoke was taking over the sky directly above us. A different kind of thunder began erupting from the clouds. It was deep and carried the sound of a living organism as it grew closer and more violent. Yellowish raindrops began hitting the pavement around us. Everywhere they landed, you could hear sizzling. A drop landed on my dad and burned the top of his head. What was falling was a highly corrosive acidic rain. All the neighbors ran into their homes and I followed my family into ours as they were pelted by the burning droplets. Inside, I watched my mom and Gemma try to help my dad but the burn on his head kept melting away flesh and was eating into his skull. No matter how hard they tried, my mom and Gemma couldn't clean it or wipe it off. The burn kept eating into and through his brain. My dad shook and spasmed and went absolutely still. He was gone. Outside, the rain began to pour down. Smoke rose up from the lawns and street as the acid burned through everything. Cars parked and the streets were melting away. I knew it wouldn't be long until the roof over our heads would cave in. Then, heavy thuds began to hit the ground outside. It was impossible to see anything out the window, so I floated through the wall and in, out into the storm. I reached the street and began to see dark silhouettes twitching and stretching out through the smoke. I got closer, and the silhouettes and shadows took full shape. They were horrible creatures. The size of cars, they had tentacles sprouting from their mouths which gave the impression of a much larger dimension. Ugly, shrill sounds were emitting from the monstrosities. The acid rain didn't affect the creatures. They were slicked with it. It rolled off them like normal water. The creatures were falling from the clouds. When they landed, their bones broke as they hit the ground, spiking out of their skin. 
I watched as the skin quickly healed around the sharp edges of the bones, using some advanced regenerative ability. If the fall had hurt any of their internal organs, it didn't show. Because seconds after their skin healed, the creatures were up and at full sprint in different directions, towards different houses. They had such immediate intent, it was obvious they had a robust sensory receptor that locked onto any nearby humans and fueled a powerful prey drive. I saw one of them run towards my house and I quickly followed it. The beast exploded through the front windows, trashing the empty living room. The creature tore into the floor and pulled it apart. I found my parents and Gemma hiding in the basement. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't do anything but watch. The hideous creature spread its tentacles, revealing rows of jagged, scalpel-sharp teeth, and devoured my family. Then the monster ran off to consume more people. I didn't know what to do. For an hour, I floated through the growing wasteland. I watched houses, buildings, and forests burn down to nothing from the acid rain as the creatures ripped through basements, seeking out any survivors. There was no stopping them. In the distance, I heard a loud rumble, like an impossibly large explosion, then another, and another. A fourth one brought my attention to the right, where I saw a row of military planes miles away flying in the opposite direction of an intensely growing mushroom cloud. Massive, fiery shockwaves were obliterating everything they touched, including the creatures. I realized the government was nuking the entire area. As they reached me, I thought I was going to die. I thought that was it. Despite the insanity of what was happening, I thought it was all real. Then the explosive inferno hit me, and I woke up in bed. I knew I was awake and actually in my real bed because I'd pissed myself and sweat through the sheets. I'd never been so happy to wake up. I told myself I'd never sleep again, and if I did, I would never dream again. Dude. Right? That, that was a lot. That's intense. But the thing is, since I woke up, I've been getting these strange feelings. Like electrical currents riding up and down my skin. Like a static shock blanket. Causing all my hair to stand up on the ends of ice-cold goosebumps. Right there with you. But that, the closing, was how this dream started. Dude. Literally the the exact line. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. That, okay. it's, it's crazy. It's, I mean, obviously, like, something like that, you can pretty much rest assured that that's probably not really happening. Sure. But... The fact that, I mean, from what he, he'd been experiencing with seeing these people out in the real world and then, you know, dreaming them up and things like that, like, yeah, it'd kind of be hard to tell for sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, okay. 
just last week, we had a fireside chat with AP Strange. And I spoke with him about his prophetic dreams, right, that he's had. And one of the big takeaways I took, I had from that conversation was oftentimes, just like in this story, the dream you have isn't, it's not exact. It's, you get a lot of, um, a lot of visuals that sort of are meant to convey the message to you, even though it isn't a hundred percent accurate. Right. Right. Like he dreamed about his mom being sick and it turned out to be his grandmother. Right. He dreamed about um, his sister dying in a crash and it was his cousin that was in a, a bad accident. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and like AP had a dream where he was at his own birthday party and everyone was like wearing the classic birthday cone hats and, and all that. And like his actual birthday party wasn't like that. It was just, you know, a bunch of his friends together, but in the dream, like the visuals made it very clear what he was seeing. Yeah. You know of course. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so maybe it's not a crazy alien, like independence day meets. Nope. Lovecraftian horrors falling <laughs> right? from the sky exactly. type Armageddon. <laughs> right. But maybe that's just a way of conveying what's coming. Right. Yeah. Like maybe it's a, an Armageddon or an end of days or some huge disaster that's going to be life altering in, you know, in any manner of forms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That shit is scary. Yeah. I agree. I agree. It's, it, again, it's one of those, it's one of those things and like, like dream interpretations and stuff like that. And what does it all mean? And what's, uh, you know, what, it, what exactly is happening? Right. Um, but yeah, I agree. Like maybe, maybe it's something like almost foreseeing what's to come, but not quite like that. You know, it's, yeah. it's over the top because obviously it's in a dream state. Anything can happen. Right. But right. yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe something catastrophic is coming, but yeah, that's his dream. The way that the dream kind of plays it out to make it that much more real possibly yeah you know it's hard to say it's just a maybe it's just like a visual shortcut used by whoever or whatever force is pushing that dream to you Mm -hmm. to make sure you understand you know what's what's coming yeah it's crazy yeah but it's after after hearing that now i'm not so sure if i want (laughs) to get it get back into i mean as long as you can (laughs) as long as you can keep yourself separated from your know, dream versus reality. Yeah. And I think you'd be okay. Also, I think, maybe. I wonder <laughs> if people who, yeah, maybe I wonder if people who, who practice lucid dreaming have those like panicky moments when, when they dream and it's not under their control. You know, he kind of experienced that where like all of a sudden he wasn't in the driver's seat anymore. I imagine that would be kind of startling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know? cause in all the other, in all the other dreams, obviously he's out there, he can, you know, play a part, but at this point he's basically just an entity witnessing everything yeah. happen. Two stories in a row with handless ghosts. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
I was thinking like when the acid rain started coming down. One, that's like a super cool idea for an alien invasion, right? right. They just like dump shitloads of acid rain first yeah, and then I dig they it. send in the troops. Mm-hmm. Um but I was also thinking, what a great day to be non-corporeal. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else is running in, their skin's burning, and you're just you're like... You're lucky, bud. <laughs> I'm solid. Yep. Because I'm not. But just imagine, like, this giant-ass, like, tentacled monster just going to town on your family. Yeah, as you stand there helpless. Exactly. Yeah, that'd yeah, be, that'd be awful. Yeah. You get a pass for pissing yourself. I yeah, oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yep. Don't even <laughs> worry about it. <laughs> yep, it's fine, bud. <laughs> yeah, I think that would happen to the uh, best of us in a case like that. Yeah, I think so. Man, great story. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Both, both are uh, yeah, just crazy, just crazy weird ones. Which I like that. That's why yeah. I look forward to these Friday Night Frights. Me too. You know? Yeah. Again, it's just different from our normal normal topics that we talk about or normal whatever else, right? It uh, allows yeah. us to get even more weird. Yeah, because we tend to get locked into the, like, alien, ghost, cryptid. Yeah. You know, with an occasional mystery tossed in. Right. But, like, we're we're interested in, like, all sides of the weirdness spectrum right like lucid dreaming the like consciousness experimentation all that stuff is like within our interests and we don't get to talk about that on the show very often yeah makes me feel like maybe we should you know obviously at some point start switching it up throw a couple of those things in find a way that uh, a way that works for it right yeah yeah i'd be into that yeah same definitely we get a lot of that out of the fireside chats yeah of those course. conversations mm-hmm. because that's obviously you know we've made lots of friends in the like tarot world and that are into divination and stuff like that so we've had a good chance to like to discuss that but yeah i think it would be it would be cool to find a way to sort of start integrating those ideas into our main episodes agreed or storytelling agreed That'll be something we do over this next year, you know, yeah, expand a little something bit. To look forward to. Right. Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I love, I love the topics we currently talk about and you can never go wrong with them, but, oh, yeah. uh, being able to have a little bit of like some extra flavor, like, you know, yeah. Drizzled so on top like of that. High there. strangeness. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, ghosts and aliens and cryptids aren't going anywhere. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> Never. Next episode, it's a mix of all of them. I'm just kidding. That'd be sweet, <laughs> right? We kind of just did that with Black Eyed. Yeah, Kid. that's yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, because what the hell are those? I mean, exactly. Aliens, ghosts, devil children, luring you <laughs> to the pits of hell. Always, <laughs> dude. I'd let them pull me in a little red wagon. <laughs> yeah, would you? <laughs> straight to hell <laughs> well on that note <laughs> I think uh, I think that's going to wrap up this episode of Friday Night Fright <laughs>